Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Or very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy! And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of The Bestseller Experiment by the two Marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we look to write, market, and publish a book in just 52 weeks. I'm Mark DeVoe. I'm Mark Spey. And every week you say that, it sends a chill down my spine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's quite funny you joke there about that intro, but if you're new to the podcast (laughs) this week, you must listen to episode 00, which is like a five-minute teaser. And I do that intro, and then Mark says... 52 weeks <laughs> it's just every time yeah. every time i say that i expect you just to say that mark you know just just for yeah, posterity man. but we have we have um as we always say and we we can't make this stuff up we have an amazing episode again this week it's just, it just keeps getting better but before we dive in actually and talk about our special guest this week we we do want to thank everyone who um, read about us in the Guardian recently. Loads of new, loads of new subscribers have come in, and lots of people giving giving us such incredible, encouraging feedback on Twitter, Facebook, iTunes, mm. and uh, Mark, you've been delving into some of the some of the comments we've been getting on the on on the social media networks. Oh, it's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Because I'm I'm usually the one on Twitter, aren't I? Yeah. And and I know you're dipping on Facebook. Um, some of these are, are great. They 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 sort of light up the day, especially when we're writing and it's getting tough as well. You know, uh, uh, Louise Boyd, who's Boyd writes, is, says, "I think I may be slightly addicted to the bestseller podcast. Super motivated for novel writing in 2017, which is absolutely brilliant. That's um, Chris, far far healthier than chocolate as well. I've heard. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> yes. Well, you know, and all things." All things in moderation. Um, Chris Bardell, at Chris Bardell, fine podcast, gents. He saw us in the Grawny ad. There we go. There's an old reference for you. (laughs) Good focus on craft, practicalities, actionable tips. That's really nice because I think people are finding stuff that our authors are talking about and we talk about that they can actually use, you know, which is really cool. Um, uh, Elena Mickelson on Twitter says, podcast is helping me to survive holiday traffic. So... (laughs) Um, really hope you got home in one piece, uh, there, Elena. And uh, one of my favourite ones, Kit Noir, at Kit Noir. She's a great podcast, have subscribed, fab advice, must get off my fearful butt. <laughs> Don't aspire, <laughs> just write. Yes, beware the fearful butt, everyone. Absolutely. Yes, so. I think that's going to become a catchphrase, so thank you so much for that. But again, thank you for everyone. And if you are finding this podcast fun, enlightening, uh, and you maybe have got off your fearful butt, let us know because it keeps us going through the through the grind of trying to write this story. Uh, so do pop along to Bestseller XP at Twitter. We're at Bestseller Experiment on Facebook. And you can always contact us at our website. We do read every email that comes through and respond to them at bestsellerexperiment.com. And Mark, give people a quick reminder that our special guest will be featuring in something very valuable, which we've got on our website. 
Well, um, just uh, visit the website and join the bestseller list, which is our mailing list, and you will receive, my friends, you'll receive a free ebook called The Writer's Vault of Gold. This comes as either a PDF or an EPUB. EPUB, I mean, if you've got an, a smartphone, you'll have an e-reader on there. If you've got an iPad or, or an Android device, you'll just... It's it's a brilliantly put together little ebook featuring the highlights of, of of every episode where we have a guest. So we've got wisdom from Joanne Harris, Michael Connolly, uh, Joe Abercrombie, uh, and of course this week's very special guest, Michelle Paver. Absolutely. Now Michelle is based in the UK, and Mark had uh, an opportunity to catch up with her in uh, what what you believed was the quietest part of. <laughs> quietest part oh, you kind of you went off on a mission didn't you you kind of went through the crypt and found the quietest part of the building it's in, it's in the basement of Hachette and there are some meeting rooms around there but it's lovely soft furnishings lots of you know nice sofas although this is brilliant acoustics for recording hordes of pretty much everyone who works at Hachette coming out of a meeting so <laughs> sorry about the background noise but, but you can hear con- everything it's exactly concentrate Michelle you can hear every word uh, she's she's absolutely brilliant I, I first met Michelle in 2003 I think not long after I started at Orion uh, where her her first children's book Wolf Brother which is the first book in the Chronicles of Ancient Darkness now you've kids and i know they will love these books these are set in a sort of prehistoric era but a young boy who has this kind of connection with this wolf uh it's absolutely brilliant uh, they have been optioned by ridley scott i think why they aren't as big as harry potter i have no idea because they are everything harry potter is there magical uh, they've got adventure they've got great characters in them as well um these should be big movies one day but the first one is wolf brother spirit walker soul eater outcast Oathbreaker, ghost hunter they're such good fun but a few years ago um michelle wrote a ghost story called dark matter which scared the willies out of me and she's returned again with a a new one uh called thin air which we talk about at the beginning of the interview so she Shall we, shall we jump in? Let's dive straight in. This is Mark Stay here, and I'm delighted to be speaking to the wonderful Michelle Paver, whose books I've been selling for more years than I care to remember, and whose latest book, Thin Air, uh, a chilling story set in the Himalayas in the 1930s, is, is on us now and is giving me nightmares. So thank you very much for that, Michelle. Welcome. How are you today? Oh, thanks very much, Mark. And I'm delighted that I've given you nightmares. That was what I wanted to do. I'm fine, thanks. (laughs) Great to be here. (laughs) That's the thing. I mean, I I read uh, Dark Matter, which was your previous book, which again had that M.R. James ghost story vibe to it. And it's fair to say this is even more scary one of the reasons is because it's it's halfway up a mountain in the middle of the Himalayas. Tell us tell us what the book is about. Well, it's um, as you say, it's up a mountain in the Himalayas. It's it's 1935, so you know, twilight of the empire, golden age of mountaineering. Um, think Mallory and Irvine pit helmets, you know, columns of native porters, as they called them in those days. Um, and my hero Stephen, he's a doctor on an expedition uh, with four, well, three other, four other Brits, <laughs> um, and. Uh, they're following in the footsteps of an earlier expedition that ended in tragedy, uh, and they're out to climb Kanchenjunga, third highest mountain in the world, um, biggest killer of them all. And uh, Stephen is desperate to climb to reach the top, uh, but along the climb he ends up on his own with a ghost. 
And they really did go out there just in pith helmets, didn't they? There was none of the oxygen or, or any of the preparation. Or they... flying helmets, maybe? Sheepskin <laughs> or cricket sweaters? I mean, they did tend to do that. They did have oxygen canisters, okay. um, but it was very much a hotly debated thing. Would you actually use them? Or was it sort of not quite fair play to, oh. to, to use those sort of climbing aids? It was um, seen as cheating. Exactly. Or, you know, in, in our case, on, on my expedition that I designed, it's sort of, they think, well, we'll have it for a bracer if we really need it, but, you know, keep it in the background. Now, I, you're a rational person. You know, you're you're like not you're, so. not you're not subject to flights of woo woo or fancy or whatever. And as is our narrator, uh, he's a very yes. seems a very rational yeah, he's person. A doctor, too. scientist, exactly a scientist. Um, so why ghost stories? Why why do you explore? And and you and certainly you had yeah. elements of this in the in the Chronicles of Ancient Darkness books as well. You had elements of magic. Oh, and stuff. myth, magic, yeah. folklore. I mean, that's what I love to write about. Now, when you're writing ghost stories, what's the key to giving someone the chills, giving the reader the chills? Because I, not wanting to spoil anything in Dark Matter, but there was a moment in that there was, there was just a post had moved. You know, there, there was that moment. Yes. And, I, and it, I'm just thinking, look at my arms. My hairs are standing on end. Now, yes, what, they really are. <laughs> what's, the, what's the secret to giving the reader the chills, do you think? Well, this is going to sound quite sort of forensic. And in fact, I think it is. But um, when I was, I reread M.R. James, you're quite right to, to sort of touch on that. And he himself studied ghost stories, the existing ghost stories of the time, Sheridan, Nevanu, those sort of people, to see how it was done. So I studied M.R. James. Excellent. And um, I sort of, I think it's not just one key. I think there are several keys and you've got to get them all in perfect balance. I think one of the things is... Um, you need to have a very realistic setting, atmospheric, obviously. Um, it could be unusual, it could be not so unusual, very prosaic, but it's got to feel real. You've got to make the reader believe in the setting so that then they'll believe in the haunting. Um, your ghost, I think, has to have an intention. Uh, it has to want or intend something. Personally, I think they should be malevolent, um, you know, but that's just a personal <laughs> preference. Um, I personally think that you need to suggest rather than in-your-face horror. Um, Corner-of-the-eye stuff, that's where ghosts breed. You know, it's in the shadows, in, in the reader's imagination, so suggestion. And I personally think it works better if you have a sort of progressive haunting. You start off with just little hints that something's not right, and then it sort of gets more and more into the, the foreground, but still just using suggestion. Uh, you need a good story. You need to keep turning the pages. You need all, you know, imagine like a whole load of plates spinning on, on those poles. You've got to keep that all in balance. Uh, if one of them drops, your ghost story is going to fail, I think. So it's, personally, I think it's the, it's the hardest thing to write. Dark matter was the hardest thing I'd ever written until I tried thin air. Um, <laughs> because then, you know, you've got a mountain. I've got to make it very, easy to understand that the mountains topography because personally I, I can't understand descriptions of mountains in books very easily i just glaze over and, and the setting is vital isn't it and yeah. and uh, this brings me on to my next sort of thread of questioning which is your research because 
I don't know if you know, there is this thing called Google where you can look things up online, but that's not good yeah, enough for you, is yeah. it, Michelle? You've, you've um, run with the wolves, swum <laughs> with orca killer whales. You've, uh, you've, you've put yourself at considerable risk <laughs> for these books. So um, tell us about the research you did for this. Well, I don't try to put myself in danger. That's the first thing. And I confess I'm not a mountaineer, so I did not climb Kanchenjunga. Uh, it's, it's only a few hundred feet lower than Everest. Um, but yes, and obviously a lot of the research is is sort of library based. I confess, yeah, I have heard of Google, but I don't use the internet. It just doesn't help me, um, except maybe to sort of check out travel arrangements and yes. things like that through my agent. But it, it, what I did with Thin Air was I wrote pretty much the first draft, but then I felt I really had to go there. You know, I have been up mountains before. Um, but I couldn't use those. I needed to go to the Himalayas. I needed to walk through the foothills, hike through the foothills. Um, as it had turned out, the trip I was on, it was a sort of eight day hike into the foothills towards Kanchenjunga, going from about sort of 6,000 feet up to about 15,000 feet, enough to, to experience wow. altitude sickness. Sadly, I didn't. That was quite annoying. <laughs> I would have liked to have done, but you know, there's nothing like experiencing a steamy malarial jungle or a swaying suspension bridge, um, or a yak, you know, who's just <laughs> lost his horn, or a blizzard sent by Kanchenjunga, and you're in this sort of icy tent um, on your own. You can hear your breath. It's dark. You don't know what's on the other side of the canvas. That's what brought it alive. And, and you know, one can just tell the writing, when I rewrote it after the trip, was completely different from the version I'd written before. It gave me ideas. It's not just about getting facts right. Mm. It gave me ideas and it brought the thing alive. It's interesting you said that you um, you went there after you'd written your first draft. Mm. And I heard Ian Rankin speak earlier in the year and he gave a little tip about research was that he does research after he's done his first draft because then he knows what he has to research because otherwise you get bogged down in research, you know, and, and maybe... That's really interesting. I got huge respect for Ian and I love his book. So I, I'm just wondering whether I should try that. You see, I, I can't do it as cleanly as that. I find I have to do some research. So I know, you know, what I'm going to, because it gives me ideas for the story. I mean, I had to do some research to, to choose my mountain. Was mm. it going to be in the Andes or the Himalayas? Yeah. Which mountain? Yeah. And then reading about the old climbs on Kanchenjunga gave me ideas, you know. So I had to do some. I agree with Ian entirely that you know, it's really difficult because then, you know, you end up with masses of stuff and how do you make a choice? And that is always difficult. Um, but yes, definitely, you know, while you're writing, go and do the, the, the main research because because that's when, you know, you really know what you zero in on. Otherwise, you waste a lot of time. If, if one was to visit your website, they'll see pictures of you eating whale meat and, and such. What, are, what What is it you expect to get from research? What are the things that surprise you with research as well? Well, I hope to get surprises. Um, it, some of it is just location stuff, you know, ideas, because, you know, if you imagine a mountain, in my mind, it's just a sort of white triangle, but then actually seeing them gives you much better ideas for, for locations and things. Um, tastes and smells, as you say, just surprising things that you didn't expect. Um, I'm trying to think, well, like being in that frozen tent, I just hadn't realised, I hadn't remembered how, how scary it can be. And actually one night... Um, one of the ponies, um, sort of, oh no, no, it was a yak. That's right. Cause we had ponies and then we sort of switched to yaks. Um, I'm often confusing the two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you wouldn't. In fact, in fact, to be technical, they were zoos. So it's a cross between a yak and a, and a cow. Oh, right. Um, but he, one of these things ran amok through the tent, through the tents, through the camp. 
And I was really sleepy and I, I just thought, oh, it'll be fine, you know. And then I thought, no, it won't. If one of these things trips over all these ropes and pegs and falls on me, I'm going to be dead, yeah. you know. Um, and, and that's a little mini episode yes. in the story. And yeah. I couldn't have thought of that. You no. can't make that up from the no. internet. No, quite. I don't think so. In your face, Google. In your well, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against Google per se, blah, 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 blah. Um, can we talk about your writing habit? Uh, uh, mm. Now, the first you mentioned earlier, you, you don't use the internet. No. Uh, and, um, and from what I hear, you, you're, you're not one for the latest technology in terms of writing devices or tools. What, uh, what no, do you actually write you, you on? You might Michelle? say that, Mark. I mean, I'm not a technophobe. Um, I have used the internet, you know, I was using email when I was a lawyer in the city and all that stuff. That's partly why I don't have it, because it's just <laughs> such a distraction yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I even silence my mobile phone, so I can't even hear the ping of a text or something. Yeah. No, I use a, my computer is, I think it's about 18, and um, it's WordPerfect 5.1 wow. in DOS. Um, for our younger listeners. Yeah, I, younger <laughs> listeners won't know anything about floppy disks, but that's what I save my, my work on to. Yeah. Um, the basic thing is it works for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just a tool. I, yes, I love the computer, but you know, I always write longhand the first draft. Right. It's just that bit freer for me. It's also a question of habit. You know, if, if something's worked for you, you get a little bit superstitious. I don't know how you are, right. but. You know, when you're writing, Mark, but I mean, I, I get superstitious and it's worked for me, so I'm going to stick to it. You what, know? what are you going to do when it dies? Yeah, this is the subject of much concern. <laughs> um, I don't know. My, my monitor died a little while ago and that was a major panic. I thought, oh no, I'm not going to be able to find one that plugs into the yeah. back of this ancient computer. And yay, I did. PC World just looked a bit sort of blank and said, yes, of course it will. <laughs> and it did. So yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. Now, I looked on your website and I saw that your first story was about a Tyrannosaurus Rex and a rabbit called Hamish. 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 Why why are you wasting your time with ghost stories? Why why is this not on the show? I was five years old. <laughs> I just wonder uh, why the film rights haven't been optioned because right, yeah. you know that's that sounds amazing. <laughs> but you've you've been writing since you were five. Yeah, I, I have. Um that was yeah and, and in those days it was typewriters. It was mm. my, I did bash it out on my mum's typewriter. Um those I, I never thought at that time I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know about it. Even at school, I didn't think I was going to be a novelist. I didn't think like that. I just wrote school plays and bullied my friends into acting in them and that sort of thing. Uh, it was at university that um, I did, and it was purely mercenary reasons to begin with. I actually thought I found a Mills and Boone in the library. I thought, I can write one of these. Easy, no problem. I'd never read any, you know. Um, so I bashed out one in three weeks and sent it off please publish it. And they sent it back and said, no, quite <laughs> rightly. Um, and then I thought, well, this is obviously harder than I think. Um, you know, I was the typical arrogant student. I thought I'd read lots of books, therefore how yeah. hard is it? And, uh, and that's what started me. Um, and then I, you know, just did the usual thing of trying to write and getting rejected. Yeah. And one of the first books I tried to write was a story about a boy and a wolf. Um, uh. And I kept it. Yeah. It didn't get published, you know, but I kept it. It was set in Viking Age Norway. But uh, so moral of the story is keep your old manuscripts. Yeah. Because, you know, 23 years later, I found something in that and that became Wolf Brother. Oh, fantastic. Did you ever, did you ever, because you had a, you know, had a very good job. You were, yeah, I was uh, a lawyer. you know, you were a lawyer. You no doubt earning good money. Did, did Did you ever think of giving up the writing and surrendering to the full time job or? Oh no, it was, it was the other way around actually, because 
you know, I'd, I'd tried to write at university, then I became a lawyer. And, you know, anyone who works in the city will know it's, you know, you, you're working weekends, late nights. I was trying to fit in the writing. Um, and then it was a question of after about 13 years thinking, you know, I, I, apart from it not doing me any good doing the law, I've just got to chuck it in. Otherwise, I'm not going to get a chance to do, to, to really have a go at the writing and see if I can do it. So I just took a deep breath and resigned. And no regrets. No regrets. Never. For, <laughs> so, sorry, any lawyers out there, but um, some of my best friends are, remain lawyers. But no, not for a nanosecond. And if you were talking to an aspiring writer and you could give mm. them just one piece of advice, what would you give them? What would you say to them? Oh gosh, that, that is hard. Um, it, I'm going to give two. Okay. Um, okay. It just in terms, <laughs> sorry about that, but just in terms of the actual technical writing, I think at risk of sounding like an English teacher, um, rewriting is the most important part of it. You know, good books aren't written, they're rewritten. Mm. So, uh, even if you love it, you just look a bit critically and rewrite until you're really happy with it and then submit it. Um, in terms of encouragement, um, it's just, it's just a bit of a sort of cliche, but keep writing. I mean, I, I, I reached a point, you know, when, when I was a lawyer and I was still trying to write. Um, and one weekend I thought, you know what, no one's going to blame me if I don't write, you know, if I stop. But if I stop writing, I will have a 100% certainty that I'll never get published. If I keep writing, I've got a tiny, tiny percentage chance of getting published, you know. Does it matter enough to, to devote all my spare time? And yes, of course it did. You know, the thought of having a hundred percent certainty of not getting published was just too ghastly to contemplate. So if you keep writing, you give yourself a chance. I'm glad we kept going through that horde of uh, people passing yeah, us just then. <laughs> keep writing, resilience, despite hordes of people. And what's next from you, Michelle? Ah, well, what's next is something I'm really keen on. Uh, it's quite a long project, and I'm not going to tell you a thing about it, oh, I'm afraid, Mark. No, no it's, I'm sorry to sound precious. <laughs> it's not just that, you know, I just don't want to, but it's also that I'm, again, as I said, superstitious, and yes. I find that if I, I'm a better writer than I am a talker. And if I were to tell you or try to tell you what I'm going to write about, I think I'd be boring. I would notice when your eyes glaze over and you're trying to look interested and I might lose faith in what I'm writing. I, I kind of understand where you're coming from because sometimes mm. when you've got an idea for a project, you don't want to tell people about it too soon because the energy you're expending exactly. in telling them that could, is probably better spent on the page. It's better spent on the page and unless you're very polished and you've sort of worked out a pitch, which is different, um, you, you're going to say, and it's got this and it's got that. They're not yeah. going to have enough yeah. to get enthused. They can't see inside your head. They will glaze over. Yeah. Even the best of friends can't sort of hide it. You will see that. And it's just not going to help anyone. No, it's not going to help the friendship either. The, the other thing I've found is if you pitch it too early as well, you, you don't know how it all works yet. Yes. So you get to the middle bit and you go, and then what happens? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. Oh. Exactly. And then you start trying to fix story problems on the hop and it's just as you can't work. do it and, yeah. and the person if they're an editor or a publisher or whatever they, they will they will ask you good questions and you don't know the answer mm. it doesn't matter if you don't know the answer it's still in your head so yes the long involved way of explaining why well, I'm not going to tell you <laughs> that's fine no that's really good advice that's really good advice well I know that whatever it is it's going to be amazing and we're all really thank looking you. forward to it so thank you very much for your time today Michelle and you're off to sign about a hundred million books now aren't you <laughs> I'm not oh, just a few this is yeah. a few piles okay. but as long as 
someone passes them to me and takes them away, <laughs> yeah, I'll just keep going all day. Doesn't Brilliant. matter. Thank you so much. Great pleasure. That was a really, really fantastic interview, Mark. And Michelle, she says she she writes better than she talks, but if she mm. if if she writes better than she talks, then her novels are absolutely amazing because she she was they are. fantastic. They really are. And if you, if you ever get a chance to see her speak at a festival, or a bookstore or event, or whatever, make time to go see her speak. She's she's absolutely brilliant. I'm very that's very great. Happy. And what the first thing that jumped out for me, which I love, because it kind of connected with the book we're trying to write she talked about this idea of the fact that uncertainty fascinates her and she's going to places in her writing even though she's you know being involved in science and all she's going to places in her writing that she's in quotes not sure about and i love that that's kind of like one of the most amazing things you don't really think about as a writer but like well i i I, that's interesting because like you know, we've talked about this in previous podcasts. I'm quite the rational person. You're quite the spiritual person. Persian, gone off Sean Connolly there. I'm a rational man, right? <laughs> Mish Money Penny. Um, but you know, but I I do love that ambiguity, that bit where the, you know, and 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 this is the thing. I love ghost stories. I love magic. I love you know UFO stories. I and I'll write that as well. You know, mm. and like. You know, not to give too much away about our book, but there is a big spiritual element. There's a big science fictional kind of element to it, you know, that's a little bit strange, a little bit woo. Um, and it's terrific. And 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 it's great to hear Michelle say stuff like that because that's the same stuff that fascinates me, that ambiguity where the strange meets uh, the rational, you know. And it's um, and when you put those things together, you can have conflict, you can have drama, and you can have a much more interesting story. Yeah, because she said she said two things, though. She said, write about what you love, which is a thing that we do here. You know, it's one of those kind of gems that we we hear, which we've picked up on. And we have that as listeners of this podcast and as the, the, the people do in the interviews, we get the privilege of hearing where the common things are. And it's good to keep hearing that stuff. Yeah. But it was that combined with write what you're not sure about as well. It's that because often when you think about write about what you love, you think about, right, what do I love? What are my passions in life? And those types of things you often have a lot of experience at because you've, you've gone deep with them. But it's the fact that Michelle says she likes to, as part of her writing journey, it's, it's, you know, uncertainty fascinates me. You know, I'm not sure for certain, she kept saying, and ambiguity came up a few times. Mm. So I found that was really, really interesting. Yeah, but the the thing that, uh, and this kind of will bring us on to our main theme for today, the thing where Michelle pips everybody, I think, is her research, the lengths she goes to for her research. I mean, she talked to us about going into the Himalayas um, for an eight-day hike. She's probably the only person I know who's annoyed that she didn't get altitude sickness. <laughs> because, <laughs> because if she did get out, and I know, kind of know what she means, she, she'd be sitting there with a notebook going, oh, this is great, nausea, giddiness, massive <laughs> headaches, I can use all this, you know. Yeah. Um, but if you go and look at her website, michellepaver.com, it's amazing because she's had, she's she has swum with orca. She's swum with wow. killer whales. She's had encounters with wolves and polar bears 
And she and and the thing is, if you read her books, it's all there. All that texture is there, and the, it brings it alive. It gives you ideas. It, it it's and as she says, research equals surprises. You know, it's the, mm. the taste, the smells, and the unexpected. And I think that, like she says, that's something you can't get on Google. Once you go out there, and, and we talked about this previously about being observant as well. You know, looking for the things that maybe are new that will bring your book to life, that will bring your story to life, uh, that you would never have got sitting in front of uh, a computer, you know, looking at videos or, or, or looking at Google Maps or whatever. Yeah, for, you know, what brought, out, what brought out for me was this sense of being an experiential author. So it's not just an author who goes into the fantasy of their own imagination, but it's actually an author who... He partly uses as an excuse to go and have an adventure. I mean, how do you know? I was when I was listening to that, I thought, wow, that's something to strive for. You know, if you could become, if you could, if you could make your travels in life part of your author experience, and you're successful at writing, people want to buy your books, so you can afford to go and do those incredible things as well. I think that that is that is an incredible extra dimension that that we can bring. And I heard of one of my. Uh, coaching clients who actually went to Morocco for that very reason. They picked Morocco out of the blue and then had to kind of imagine it and, and was so desperate to confirm whether they were actually anywhere near the reality of what it was like to be in a bustling city and, and went out there and had an experience there. So I think that it, in, in some ways it's, it's almost like a bucket list for authors, you know, what it's not just about sitting in your little box, tapping away on the keyboard. It's how could you maybe make that part of your dream as an author? Where do you want to go? What do you want to experience? So you can then write about it. Yeah. And it's, and it's not about traveling. We can't all travel to the Himalayas. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, we, as much as we might all love to, some of us just can't afford it. or We might, you know, might not be physically able to make that journey. Sure. But I think that thing of being observant, whatever journeys you do make, in, even in your own environment, in, you know, that so, so many crime authors are fixed to certain cities. You know, there'll be Ian Rankin is is very much Edinburgh, mm. and he brings Edinburgh to life because he's he observes that city in a way that no one else can. You go and look at Dickens and London as yeah. well, and he brings it to life in a way that no one else could at the mm. time. So you know, think about your. T- you might think, oh God, I live in some backwater town in the middle of nowhere. You know, uh, what's interesting about that? But that's because you've lived there all this time. And the things you take for granted, the things you think are ordinary, will be fascinating to other people. I think this is why, certainly in, in the UK, you know, we watch films. I grew up watching all these films about, you know, suburban America, these Sp- Amblin Spielberg films. Mm. And that seemed like a dream world to me, you know, that, that you know, where kids are riding their BMXs in these wide streets. Uh, you know, it just seemed fascinating to me. Likewise, I, I think... You know, Americans are fascinated by th- that Downton Abbey Britain, you know. Oh, or, yes. Uh, yeah, completely. You know, which, you know, we're tripping over castles all the time here we in know. Britain. You know, but, <laughs> well, you know, I'm a member of the National Trust and, you know, all through the year, the family will jump in the car and go to a stately home and wander around it, you know, in a way that maybe you can't in America. So, well, and I moved, I moved from Cambridge. I mean, before we moved oh, to, to, to the West Coast city. of Canada, yeah. I mean, talk about extremes. We, you know, we would go shopping, you know, be out looking for Christmas presents and in the backdrop would be King's College, which is, if you haven't seen it, it, it's just, it's like something out of Harry Potter. They could have filmed Harry Potter. And now I live in North America 
And I suddenly realized, weirdly enough, whilst we're having this conversation, our book is actually based in both those locations in the UK and North America. So we, we're kind of doing that. But having lived out in, in the West Coast of Canada now for five years uh, and having lived in the UK for the rest of my life, I've had this really interesting perspective that I would never have seen if had I just, even just traveling here, there's something about living somewhere. So sometimes the experience can go beyond, you know, an adventure or a couple of weeks, because we know that having a holiday somewhere is a very different experience Mm. to, you know, actually living somewhere and learning about the culture and finding out the funny things about people that you would never know when you're on holiday. And so it's kind of funny that we've naturally veered towards setting our book in both those locations. And that's probably because we're naturally drawing from the knowledge we have of those cultures and countries. Absolutely. And the, the North American location in our story, I was there last year. You were, weren't you? Yeah. And very deliberately thinking, I'm taking notes. I'm I'm breathing this in. You know, I I'm, I'm using all of this. You know, and there are there are places I've been out there where, it, when I was there, I thought I have to use. It. I don't know what it, I'm going to use it in, but I have to use this. And so when say, our our I'll story came pe- along, it's like yeah, it's just ideal, absolutely perfect. Yeah. So if people, we're not going to tell you where it's located in North America, but if you can guess, come mm. to Twitter or Facebook, and <laughs> we want to hear where you think it might be. We might have given away too much already, but. Uh, the other thing about research, keeping on that theme, that I found really, oh, this, this jumped out for me hugely, was when Michelle talked about studying. She didn't talk about reading. She talked about studying Mr. James. And yes. I found that really interesting because, again, I, I can't often go back to music. You know, I've studied a lot of music. I've studied pop songs. I've studied you know, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. I've studied everything that I could get my hands on. Because I find when you go to it as a student to learn more than just what's on the page, but what's underneath, what's hiding, what structurally is there that you have to pull out. And and obviously, this is a. I think this is a big part of of being an amazing writer is studying your um, icons, if you like, your book mentor authors. And uh, did, now, did that I, jump out for you as well? Have you heard that a lot of authors do that, Mark? Yeah, I think they do. And a lot, I know a lot of screenwriters do it, particularly. I know John and I were working on a kind of a James Bond style script a few years ago, and we sat down and watched a, a few of our favourite Bond movies and wrote down copious notes talking about what we liked, what worked, what didn't, you know, uh, the structure to them, the things, the familiar kind of tropes. uh, And that really informed the draft that we wrote. And like I was with Michelle, I mean, what Michelle has given us here and our listeners here are the essential ingredients for a really great ghost story, you know, and Mm -hmm. she's gone to possibly the greatest ghost story writer ever, M.R. James, who if you've not read any M.R. James, I mean, well, one, don't read it alone at night because you won't be getting any sleep. I mean, <laughs> and Michelle's stories are very much in that that same uh, that same mood in, in that they are in a realistic setting. Mm. They're incredibly chilling and just the slightest thing will put, make their hair stand up all over, you know, it's yeah. some... Um, and it is really hard to do. It's it's the easiest thing in the world to maybe write a slasher and have lots of blood and gore and disgusting things. But to make something that makes people feel genuinely uneasy, there are very few authors who can do that. And Michelle's one of them. 
Yeah, and she talked about, you know, it's almost like writing in the shadows, this idea of suspense and this idea that, you know, you, you, you're more, what was the idea? She said a, a, a haunting that kind of slowly, a progressive haunting. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. But then if you think about the best ghost stories, that's how it starts, isn't it? You know, something moves, a door opens. Yes. You know, or uh, something in a room keeps moving and you keep putting it back. When you come in, it's moved again. Yeah, and then it funny. gets, and then you start, you know, you start. I mean, with the woman in black as well, with Susan Hill, you know, really, yeah, classic, oh, <laughs> you know, and that starts with little things that build and build and build to the point where you have a malevolent spirit, you know, scaring the the willies out of you again, you know. So yeah. I'm very easily scared. My wife, my wife finds it pathetic when we watch a, a, a ghost story because I will be squealing like a like a child and she'll be going it's just a film you know <laughs> but you're so invested aren't you right you're so i really am i really am oh, i remember brilliant. with our first child she was about uh eight and a half months pregnant and we were going to go and see the sixth sense and i was like oh you know i don't want this you know causing you scaring you to the point where you might have to rush you to uh, the hospital to have the baby and she's like no chance of that but if i had been pregnant i'd have, I'd have given birth there and then you know ah! <laughs> that would have been scarier than the film believe me <laughs> yeah, sorry to but, put that image in your head yeah oh dear the center all over the cinema floor that's just mixed with popcorn that's not good that's not a good image once unseen but um the it is brilliant and it kind of it's kind of interesting because when we think about how we you know as children how we're scared and how we scare kids you know I love I love to kind of like creep up on my kids and jump out at them but it is always the kind of <laughs> you know and it's it's the jumping out and the sudden shock moment which is the yeah. complete reverse of the suspenseful build and it makes me wonder taking that concept of a of a ghost story if you could take that concept of that progressive build and use it in any story to yeah. kind of like almost reveal in some ways, it's like revealing, you know, bits and pieces of the plot until you finally get the big reveal, which is when you maybe see the poltergeist or you see whatever it is. Uh, we should maybe think about that in our book about how we can drip feed, if you like the, uh, the horror of our writing. <laughs> to our readers. Yes. <laughs> the, reading it. Oh, this is bad. Oh, this is really bad. Oh, this is really bad. <laughs> oh, I no, have I to keep I... reading. It's so bad. <laughs> I have to keep reading because you sometimes get stories like that, though, don't you? I think, um, yeah, no, I, I think you're yeah, absolutely right. I think you can apply that because if you're talking about a thriller, uh, you know, a murder case or a courtroom drama, I think you can apply that to all of these. You know, take a small thing, build and build and build. And that's a great rule of storytelling, you know, just keep building and building and building to, you know, big epic kind of climax and, 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 uh, you know, and build to whatever the, the natural ending is, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah. There's the Good other point. image I had in my head when Michelle was talking about the, the story about, uh, the rampant yak going through their, their yeah. camp at night. I just had this image of her being like, um, pulled by this yak down the mountain in this body bag which used to be the tent <laughs> it's yeah. like talk about extremes that you go to for research yeah but that's the, again brilliant. The, the the stuff you know if you read thin air some of the scariest stuff is just the noises on canvas or noises on the other side of canvas you know yeah. simple stuff that's really chilling mm. it made me think of a camping trip when when i was very young which is still remember very vividly now where we were in a field and some cows came into the same field as us as our tent and i saw this enormous shadow through the canvas of a cow you know and it's yeah. um these experiences that you have in life 
use them, you know, take them and use them and adapt yeah. them, you know. So the cow could be a, a dinosaur in a, in a fantastic story or whatever, you know. Take, take that tension, ramp it up to 11 and then see where you can go with it. That's fantastic. It reminds me actually of a time when I was, when I was backpacking around the world, I was in Australia and we went out on a boat for seven days to learn to scuba dive. And as we progressed through the kind of to advanced diving one night, one night our instructor said, right, get your suits on. And we were completely shattered. She said, get your suits on. We're going out for a dive. And we said, but it's 10 o'clock at night. She said, yeah, night dive. And I was like, Oh, and the thing is we're in the great barrier reef. So we've been down there in the day and we've seen sharks, you know, yeah. there were, jellyfish and sharks and enormous and so i was on the boat with this guy who was like this butch south african guy who was like you know built like it he almost beaten arnie in the the world's strongest man and she gave us this torch and then we had to jump off the edge of the boat and basically she said it's a bit like having a light light an infinite lightsaber because all you can see when you're down there when it's pitch black is this is this thin band of light that's you know like when you point a torch right, up at the sky yes. yeah? Yeah, yeah and so what you what was happening is we were swimming around and like every so often something would swim right in front of us and it'd be huge and we wouldn't know what it was and and it was the most scary yeah, but most incredibly um and most most alive i think i've ever felt but then my my yeah. my buddy my diving partner completely freaked out he he literally the darkness freaked him out and she said to us the instructor said look whatever you do what's down there during the day is the same stuff it's just you can't see it and it was almost like having that thin crack of light and yeah and also also the fact that you can't really see much out of your goggles as well because you've got a very limited view yeah, yeah so it's this idea of keeping the suspense by maybe just showing a crack of light and then letting things pass by in front of it but also if you're a writer you have to go and live life a bit, you know? You have yes. to do things that are out yeah. of your comfort zone. You know, you have to encounter things that might scare you a bit. This is, isn't is on the same level at all. But I remember I had to, I forget what it was for, but I had to write something where someone was alone in a dark wood. So I went up to Box Hill in Surrey. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Box Hill. In the middle of the night and just wandered around in complete darkness and <laughs> shut everything off and just sat there for a while soaking it in the noises wow. you know just noises little things of the people like that. in the bushes <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what you did at box hill but no 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 I at all, but it's it's interest it is interesting i think i actually think you're right you know you have to get out and live a bit i think actually people sometimes become writers because of the experiences they've had Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Like that's that's why publishers chase people like Bear Grylls to write novels, you know, right. because he has that kind of experience and he can write about it from that point of view. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, get out there, get off your bum, get off your fearful butt, fearful butt, and live <laughs> live life a bit, in box and then write. But again, you know, even if you don't go out of your way, take those experiences. Every experience is research, I think, you know, and carry a notebook with you or jot it down on your smartphone just the little things that occur to you little peculiarities and you never know when they're going to come in handy now we we, we can't go any further without talking about michelle's incredible way in which she writes her books i honestly that was brilliant word perfect five yes yeah, Scriv people at scrivener close your ears now. yes you're gonna <laughs> no but we can put a good spin on this because i when we, when we talk about, I mean, it, it does it does go back to don't get too don't believe that the tools are going to make you a better writer. Yeah, 
they'll actually make you a more effective writer, a more organized writer. And when we talk about research, they can make you a much, much more proficient and prolific writer. And I found it really interesting that it shows that, you know, no matter what we get used to, we, 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 we stick with it. And that's why probably there's a ton of people that are used to word. I mean, Michelle's obviously used to word perfect and it works for her and that's brilliant, but she hasn't tasted the nectar, has she, Mark? She hasn't, (laughs) she hasn't seen what, what, I mean, I'm thinking from a perspective of maybe the research elements we're using, we're doing a lot of research and we're using folders within Scrivener to save all of our research notes and to have everything in one place in the same document, same file as where our manuscript is. So you can just literally dip in and check something is absolutely brilliant. But I must admit it, it, it does remind me of, you know, these musicians who are, you know, often come to me wanting to become better musicians. And they, they always think that if they can just buy that, that slightly more expensive Fender guitar, then they'll be. Buying a Fender Strat is not going to make you Eric Clapton. Exactly. uh, And so we can get hung up on technology. But what I must say was I loved about what Michelle said about that was the fact that um, she doesn't use Google really for search and and that email is a distraction. I think that's that's incredible and, and brilliant that she can do that because I don't know what I would do without those things. Yeah, I mean, Michelle is... um. Uh, you know, can be very single-minded, very, very determined. And again, you see that in her writing. But, you know, she's she's not a technophobe. She She's experienced these things, but she knows they... And look, the number of writers I know on Twitter and Facebook who will complain about their deadlines on Twitter and Facebook, Twitter. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, turn it off, honestly. <laughs> you know, so, um, oh. yeah, my life has changed since I found the uh, do not disturb function on my MacBook. It's really, because it, every time an email goes ping, your eye is drawn to it and yeah. you lose, a, a, a oh, it's, it's, study it's, somewhere, I, you lose about a minute of time just looking yeah. at it. And it's, well, you uh, know what we are? We're, we're actually rats in a laboratory because they've done experiments with rats and they've had two rats in a cage, one with each, one with a lever. One, they both have a lever. And one of them, every time they push the lever, they get a pellet. So they, they get food. And the other one, they have to push it. And any time up to a hundred times, they, they'll get one pellet. Yeah. And the, the one that gets, gets the food every time it pushes it, it just has its pellet, goes off, does its thing until it's hungry again, and then comes back a few hours later. The one that has to keep pressing the lever and it gets it delivered randomly, it's just there all day long hitting. And and they've said that that is us an email because every now and again, we get a load of rubbish, you know, uh, Nigerian emails about X, Y, and Z or whatever, Viagra. And, but every now and again, you get an incredible email, like the one that says, you know, yes, we want to publish your bookmark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you keep hitting that lever. Yeah. And so it can well, so, be- so, Social media is the same. I'm sure there's sort of a dopamine hit that you get when oh, someone completely. likes- your tweet or retweets you or whatever, you know, it's quite tragic. That, um, it is, I'm, really. I'm, a, I'm on Twitter at Mark Stay if you want a favourite <laughs> and like some of my tweets. Thank you. I'm not desperate or needy at all, um, but that's where I am. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, but it is, I, I love it. It's a fascinating, it's fascinating just as a human study of what's happening yeah. to us with social media and where, yeah. how we're becoming more connected, but more disconnected from each other. Mm. Uh, another reason to get out a bit more. But yeah. the other side of things is as writers, you know, we really need to pay attention to that because I think that it can be, uh, it can be an interesting it can be interesting for building our careers as writers, but at the same time, it can mean that we write a lot, a lot less books because, like you say, people are on talking and, about their you know, writing. There's no one more needy than a writer. 
or actually maybe actors. Um, and I've been both. Uh, you know, you know. There's there's nothing more needy than a writer. Oh, please like my book. Please give me a review on Amazon. You know, that's me. Uh, yeah. It's um. So social media is kind of the the perfect hell for a writer, really, because they get like if you're not careful, it'll just swallow you up, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a form of validation that everyone seeks as human beings. Yeah, we all yeah. want to be loved. Yeah. We all want to be pre- we all want to feel like we're making some kind of difference in the world. And when we're writers, we're trying to do that through our books. So, yeah. But it is interesting, and it's interesting as well to see that Michelle was being, you know, very scientific and law based. She was superstitious of changing. Yes. So it, it weaves in, doesn't it? The whole, yeah, you know. Yeah fascination yeah. of the unknown and I, I love the yeah. fact that she's she's willing to go there i think a lot of authors maybe suffer by not being open to cross a threshold and say right i'm going to go and explore the very thing i completely disagree with or don't believe i think yeah. that's where the magic lies right yeah 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 no i agree i go, well again it goes back to the thing as well that we said a couple of weeks ago i think that uh a a good writer has to be able to hold two opposing views you know in Huge. their head and have the pro and the con argument, you know, and and have those characters go at each other because otherwise it just becomes a rant, a one-sided rant. Yeah, and exactly. I think uh, that's, that's a very healthy thing for any writer to develop. I also found the quote for the show, Mark, as well. That yes. was a rewrite. A rewrite is the most important part of writing a good book. Books aren't written, they're rewritten. Oh, yeah. Good books aren't written. I think that was really spot on. And well, actually, no, no. The one that topped it for me slightly was if I if I stop writing, there's a hundred percent certainty of not being published. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So that's that's a good that's a good segue maybe into our motivational minute, Mark. Go for it. So what I wanted to what I wanted was inspired by Michelle, and she talked about all the adventures that she's been on, and so. You know, any point in our life, we typically think about this towards the end of the year, which is when we're kind of looking back and thinking, oh my gosh, where did the last 12 months go? And all the stuff I was planning to do, which I didn't even get to think about. So today I want to inspire people to take a minute out of your life. And before you dive into that next book, or before you come up maybe with that next idea for a book, I want you to write your bucket list. I want you to write your author's bucket list. So where would you, what would you like to experience? Where would you like to go? to experience things that may become hugely core and valuable to a story that you want to write. I think sometimes we we maybe put the cart before the horse. And if you are to live this incredible life, potentially as a published best-selling author, imagine the adventures you could have like Michelle, where she's experiencing things on such an incredible level that to come back and write about it, it just kind of flows out of you. But to do that, we have to have a bucket list. People, you know, we talk about this, people we talk about what would I do if I won the lottery, et cetera. But if you actually sit down and write down goals, they say that that is one of the top three things that super successful CEOs and other people they've researched. It's one of the things they do every year is they write down their yearly goals. And if we're true to ourselves and look at how often we do that, we may only do it every now and again, but do we really stick to it? So create yourself a bucket list and then schedule a time, even if it's once every three months, just to look at it. Because the excitement of seeing what's on that list can drive you forward, maybe lift you up when you're kind of really stuck in that, you know, like Mark, that middle part of a story that we just can't figure out. You know, to look at a bucket list and and to make you excited about what potentially could be coming, if you could write a successful novel, what might that do? Um, so yes, do you have a bucket list, Mark? I have a bucket. 
Has he got a hole in it by any chance? <laughs> there are. I mean, there are places I want to go. There are places I I, I, I want to see. Um, you seem to have been the most of them. Makes me sick. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I do. I do. Uh, not so, not so much a, a list, but you know, there are definitely places I want to go and experience. And um, uh, yeah, it's time, man. Got to find it the time. I'm writing this bloody book. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, though. Do you know what I found though is that a lot of the crazy stuff that I've done in my life, which I keep alluding to, but never really talk about much. But if people want to read about it, check out maybe LinkedIn where I waffle on about it and boy pull the pants off but a lot of the stuff i i can look back at these bucket lists all these goals that i've written and and see that i wrote them two three years ago that i looked at one the other day and you know what it said on there become a best-selling author and i'm thinking <laughs> maybe that triggers the conversations that you then have <clears throat> and i think that there's a lot of power that happens in um what we call kind of future casting things that you want to head towards so yeah i think uh, you know it helps to have some sort of direction in life definitely definitely uh, well although, same with the story really in some ways yeah, get lost spend, in the middle most of us spend half a life trying to figure it out <laughs> well then that's part of the adventure isn't it but maybe, then i guess i guess mid- the start of it is making a list is sitting down and applying yourself to it you know so, and yeah. and you know what making a list but not allowing yourself to be realistic about it it's about actually for one minute, one, five, ten minutes, having fun with it. Just thinking, mm. if my life wasn't the way I've made it, if I could just... Because I wake up every morning and I think to myself, everything that we've done in the past is experience now. But we define who we are today by what we've done in the past. We could wake up tomorrow and say, I'm not going to be this person anymore. I'm going to be something completely different. Um, in a bit way, way like Madonna kind of recreates her image every couple of years. We can just wake up and become someone completely different. And part of that is an author, I think, is, you know, you practice that in your own life, you'll be able to practice it with making up these characters who are completely different from maybe who you are. Well, talk, talking about experiences, this brings me on to our question of the week, um, which, which comes from Gavin Smith, who is an author, funnily enough. Um, Dear bestseller experiment, having read Vogler's The Writer's Journey, I've decided to live my writerly life as though I am literally on the hero's journey. <laughs> However, I'm continually troubled by threshold guardians. Could Mark One and Mark Two recommend a good magic sword for which to deal with them as my magical goose just isn't up to the job? Regards, Gavin, aka Kralos the Mighty. <laughs> That's the best question of the week yet. <laughs> I, I don't think you're taking us seriously, Gavin, but uh, oh, just I to, love it. So magical swords, great, magical great swords. magical swords. Well, one immediately thinks maybe of Excalibur. Of yes. course, one of the most famous ones. Uh, you got the Sword of Gryffindor as well, uh, yeah. which uh, which was um, Neville Longbottom was the one. Who, I think Neville Longbottom is the real hero of the Harry Potter series. By the way, yeah. discuss well not Big now, reveal. but we haven't got time. Um, you've, you've got Michael Moorcock, Stormbringer. It's probably quite a famous sword. Uh, what about Oliver? a lightsaber, Mark? Could we could we chuck a lightsaber in there? Yeah, well, it's I mean, Luke, a sword. Luke's lightsaber, which of course was his father's lightsaber before that. Spoiler alert: it's Darth Vader. Um, that seems quite pivotal in the new trilogy as well. That's that's probably the one I'd go for. Actually, it's quite handy because it's it's only about you know sort of ten inches long. Uh, you can hang from your belt. Yeah, that's that. Could be well, quite you're not going to cut. You, you can't cut yourself easily with it when you're just wandering around on that 
on and the it, road. Well, and it doubles as a torch as well, doesn't it? You know, so, Yes, uh, which is a bit like a mobile phone in some ways. Exactly. Could you? Is there an app now? Is there a sword app that you can get that swishes when you wave your phone around? And there is a light. There is a lightsaber app. There is a lightsaber. App. Yeah, there is. There, there is, you the, go. That's prob- there you go. There you go, Gavin. There you go. I'm sure it's available on Android and Apple. Uh, get yourself a <laughs> lightsaber app. Ninety nine cents. Exactly. And uh, and good luck on your quest. Uh, do let us know how you get on. But Thank failing you. that, go see the old bloke with the long beard in the forest. That usually yes. helps. <laughs> Oh dear! Um, we have a competition as well, do we not? Mark? We do. We yes, we have a signed, I believe, hardback copy of Michelle's new book. Is that correct? Yes. Copy of Thin Air, which is a beautiful book, very beautiful book, which she signed uh, for us for a competition winner. So come visit us at bestsellerexperiment.com and you'll see a little little tab there called Win. And if you click on that, you'll see other competitions which. May or may not still be live, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, it's a signed book by Michael Connolly, signed book by Maria Semple, signed Underpants from Brian Cranston, uh, and now uh, Michelle Paver's uh, signed copy of Thin Air. Uh, so dr- drop along there, enter, and good luck. And just a good opportunity to remind you, you can get all of the notes from this show in our Vault of Gold download. We create pages on our website for every single guest that comes to us. Uh, lots of great links there on each page as well, which we reference in each episode. So pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com and remember, click on that contact tab and tell us how you're doing. If you've got a question of the week, do feel free to email us through that route as well because we love to hear from you. We we have had a couple of people ask us uh, serious questions. Thanks, Gavin. Um, <laughs> about what constitutes a bestseller, and we're hoping to have some really exciting news about that. Basically, that we've taken those questions. We're going to do a whole episode about those. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, and just warn you that if you do ask a question, it can end up as an entire episode. So, you know, (laughs) be careful what you ask. (laughs) Yeah, only the best questions. Absolutely. (laughs) And don't forget to visit us at BestsellerXP on Twitter, BestsellerExperiment on Facebook. We're also on Instagram and Pinterest. Yes, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter too. I'm at Mark Stay, and Mr. DeVoe here is at 4000 Saturdays. Excellent stuff. Well, listen, it's been absolutely wonderful again spending this time with you. Thank you so much for being with us on this journey. And we hope that you are continually inspired, as we're hearing from others, to dust off that book. As Michelle said, you know, dust off that manuscript. You never quite know what you might pull out of it. It might be the beginnings of your amazing bestseller career as an author. So thank you again, everyone. And uh, Mark, it's been a pleasure as always. Always, yes. As always, yes. And, <laughs> I never uh, know where we, these things are going to take us. Some very, very strange places today. So Absolutely. And next week, our special guest, I think we can reveal, is none other than another incredible best-selling author, Mr. John Connolly. Awesome. So if you, if you are into Mr. John Connolly's books, and even if you're not, this is an episode you do not want to miss. It's probably one of the most animated uh of all and uh, we look forward to to joining you again next week so it's goodbye from mark one and goodbye from mark two goodbye goodbye